You're listening to Bits and Pieces on Sunrise Robot. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Edwards, out of Denver, Colorado. And I'm Matt Duncan out of Gelsenkirchen, Germany. And we thrive on the support of our listeners, so please check out sunriserobot.net slash support to see some ways you can help us out. And for episode six here, we have a very special guest, Benji Robinson. Hello. A.K.A. Reptile Fiction, A.K.A. Render Arcade. <laughs> Sure, you can use yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> we're just going back to Render Arcade. <laughs> Benji uh, helped me. Uh, we co-composed the Detective, Detective, Detective soundtrack, and we've been lifelong friends, and happy to have him on the podcast and uh, hear some of his thoughts on mixing and some other topics we got today. So both of you kind of have a shared past of using similar software for early days of music writing. Tell me about this. Do you want to take this? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's this program that came out for PC and the Sony PlayStation uh, called Music Generator, and it was brought to you by MTV, of all companies. Um, so they were kind of like the endorsement on the, the packaging. And basically it was like a 24-track software recording um, video game, I guess you could say. Um, and you could create your own original tracks or you had like a bunch of samples you could choose from and, and paste songs together that way. Yeah. And, and I remember, so, so the, uh, the game was called music 2000 here in Germany and it wasn't officially sponsored by, by MTV. And, um, yeah, and I remember when I when I when I found out about this game, I was like, "Wait, I can do some music on my PlayStation? That's awesome! I I don't want to do anything else anymore on that on that system." So, and, and yeah, so it so it had a, a bunch of like loops and and preset uh, instruments and all that, and I I really remember that I really just put together some building building blocks that were already present there so it really had a nice a lot of nice capabilities like a borderline midi functionalities and you could really do a lot of it but i i just remember that back in the days i think i was like 11 or 12 years old it was i didn't know anything about all of this so um lots of music theory that i was missing still so i was just putting things to, together like they they came with the with the game well, and I, I just remember because Benji loved video game soundtracks and Mega Man and, and some of these games so much. And that program was so perfect for starting in, in that kind of, you know, it wasn't really chip tuny, but you could just make that kind of MIDI synthy stuff. And uh, it was really great for that. And I just remember I'd go over to your house, Benji, and you'd have like hundreds of songs <laughs> you had made, like just prolific. <laughs> and it was always fun to check that out. I also remember it always being very slow. So you were, you always had those lists of samples and building blocks, and when you when you wanted to see another part of the list, it always had always had to um, read from the CD, of course. So it always took like ten minutes to find that one sample yeah. you used last time. And <laughs> <laughs> yes, that part was very. You had to really wait for things to load and dig through those lists. Are either of you have any songs from that era of your playing around with music that are? something we can find online like have you made versions that are on youtube or I anything have, well i have some on my reptile fiction soundcloud uh, that i quote unquote remastered <laughs> i just kind of like fixed the mix a little bit because that was another thing like i had no clue about when playing around with that was like how to mix things you know, i was peeking in a lot of areas <laughs> too many instruments well red is good peaking is always good <laughs> yeah <laughs> the red must be correct nice. you'll have to yeah We'll find it for the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it might be that I have some PlayStation 1 memory cards lying around with one or two songs, but <laughs> I, I don't have the game anymore, so I I would have to pirate this just to, to make it happen. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, Benji grew up together, and I remember watching him use that software, but we also played in several bands growing up, and uh, um, we also used to do this funny thing because... Uh, like I'd call him on the phone, we'd just be talking for a long time or something, and then we'd like start playing music back and forth over the phone, <laughs> and just like he would play drums, and I would listen to him hit the drums for a bit, 
<laughs> do the same thing back to them. And it didn't really work very well because phones don't really transfer sound outside of vocal ranges hardly at all. It crushes it to oblivion. But we just, it was just that much fun always to be playing around and, and doing stuff. And that kind of culminated uh, a year ago. About a year ago, we were scrambling to uh, finish the detective soundtrack, and I'd like to hear some of Benji's thoughts and feelings on like what was it like collaborating, you know, five states away on on music. I think it was a good experience overall. Um, I think like technology is finally, you know, allowing us to do stuff like this, like what we would call postal service style song creating and sending tracks back and forth. Um, or in our case, we were dropboxing logic files back and forth to each other. So it was just, yeah, it was really fun. I think it forced us to like set up like a good, like structure on how to do that for hopefully future endeavors. (laughs) If we ever work together again, (laughs) I just loved it because, uh, we had a rough cut of the movie by like September of 2013 or so. And then we procrastinated for many months. (laughs) And then like January, we were kind of like, we got to do this. We have to get this thing done. (laughs) Justin wants music on this movie. (laughs) And uh, I mean, we had some demos we were kicking around, but I remember the, I would call out a specific track. It's the, I can't remember the what we called it on the soundtrack, but I'll find the specific one. But yeah, um, it was the one where they're at the the, the the Crystal Lake. Yeah, Crystal Lake theme, and I feel like your the song you made song the the track the the soundtrack the score um, sort of unlocked the rest of the soundtrack for me. It was like, oh, I know what this should be now, and um, you know the sound choice and the samples and the kind of the feel of it and then it just was so much easier after that to just pump out like dozens of more tunes and i mean maybe that's a a good topic uh to to insert all of a sudden outside of our list is you know when you have writer's block or what are those moments where like you didn't know what to do and then you're just like ah i got it (laughs) um in a music project or what do you do to, to break writer's block like when you just can't figure something out I wish I had a recipe. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if there's like one perfect way that I break through that block, but um, maybe stepping away from it for a little bit and then coming back to it, that always helps give like a refresh. Um, but it's also sometimes just working through it also helps. It's just like, all right, I finally made it over that hump that so I was trying to get through. Your advice is either keep going <laughs> or stop. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, for me, it's it's. I guess it's mostly like doing something completely different than last time, or I, I have that that default template in my Ableton. So I my project always starts out with some uh, some tracks that are always present, and sometimes I just go, no, let's let's have a blank slate. So sometimes the blank slate actually helps me to to think of something new instead of just going like, yeah, okay, we have this these three synthesizers again and these kind of drums, and <clears throat> yeah, also. Um, Something we talked about uh, last time or a few episodes back about being like, mostly my writer's block come from trying to do something new when I should just be doing something I already did a few years ago that worked <laughs> and, and just go like, yeah, let's just do it again and maybe fiddle around with it a, bit, a bit differently because it's never going to end up just the same. So it's it's not a bad thing. I mean, we had that topic, but um, it's mostly that thing. It's either I bought myself or it's just, okay, let's, let's just do something different and see what happens. So we did have some, some cool topics on the list today. And one I'm excited to sort of talk about is uh, experimental playback systems. And, and you mentioned Quadrophony and tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, Quadrophony was, uh, was something I, yeah, more or less was interested in when um when i got a, a stereo back in my old uh, old home i i got another stereo system so i hooked them i hooked that up to my computer and had my my regular computer um 
uh, loudspeakers in front of me. So I had two speakers in front of me, two speakers in uh, behind me, and I was like, okay, maybe you can do something with that. And some games actually, when I played video games, they supported that, so you didn't really have that surround sound with like 5.1, but at least you had some sense of things being behind you. And I always thought about making some music or when we produced a film for school, fusing that, but in the end it was all like, yeah, if I do that now, I'm the only one who's really going to experience that. <laughs> so I, I stopped on that. But at about the same time, um, I found about uh, an album uh, by the Flaming Lips, which was called Zyrika. And what they did was they uh, that album come on, came on four CDs that you had to play simultaneously, and uh, it, it was encouraged to like meet up at a parking space somewhere, and everybody pops that CD into their into their radio system. And I actually managed to, to, to play it. Like I played one, one file on my computer, one on my disc, uh, disc player, Ooh. my disc man, and one on the television with a DVD player and all that. And it, it sounded amazing in your room, like going around and, and different tracks fading in from there. And, and they always made a point about that they are not really in sync perfectly. So even if you start them perfectly, they are just, I don't know, the reverb from the piano coming like half a second before the actual piano plays, which gave you like some psychedelic effects. So it's <laughs> never really the same way. And um, y you can find some of the tracks on uh, on YouTube and online in a stereo version, but it doesn't really have quite the same effect. That's cool. Yeah. <clears throat> I remember reading about that as a kind of a musical oddity. And Flaming Lips is, even though they, they have a very strong pop undertone to their song structures a lot of the time they have it this experimental side that comes out every once in a while that is very fun to pay attention to so have you ever delved into something akin to that i have done pretty much zero work beyond two channels <laughs> <laughs> um and I, I think it's like kind of like what you said like the audience isn't there because people don't just have four speakers lying around or, you know, two separate stereo systems to, to be synced up. And so it's never felt like a priority, but I, I could imagine someday wanting to play around with that and having a lot of fun. <clears throat> I have enough fun deciding left and right, uh, <laughs> add a couple more dimensions and, you know, your delays and your, your arpeggios get more interesting. <laughs> and also uh, another thing and another experimental, uh, yeah, playback system, um, that I found recently um, that was supported by by Ableton themselves was um, so somebody built a a live PA system which is comprised of like nine cells with uh, speaker towers and so so the guy doing the DJ set could actually move around the sound in 3D space and and build like virtual walls that that would shield the sound from the other cells and and um, yeah, I mean, that that's something that you could introduce if you have a venue and you were like, okay, so over here we've got these very special uh, live gigs with, with our four-dimensional sounds, which is always like when, when people add that fourth dimension, it's always like, yeah, where is it? So <laughs> it's, it's, it's still in a 3D room, so I, where, where's the fourth dimension? But, but, but the concept itself is really fun and, and I wish I, it's somewhere in Berlin, I, I think, so maybe I can actually travel there sometime and, and experience it myself, but, of course, it, it's kind of it's made for electric electronic music. I don't know if that would really work in a rock setup, but uh, maybe if everyone's playing through software on electric drums, maybe. Right, isn't that a feature in the Pono player? <laughs> oh, maybe. <laughs> yeah, they they. I think they're up to five or six dimensions in, on the Pono player. So you mentioned the that whole like augmented reality stage show of like moving blocks around, <clears throat> and. Uh, I just, I guess that the bigger topic of just stage presence and when you play live, uh, what are some things you do to make the visuals interesting and not just the, the sound? Um, yeah, there's also something that I was trying to get into some time ago, but in the end it was always like, yeah, okay, let's, let's focus on the music first. But I, I really love live video projections and I mean, every major artist already has those. Um, I, I love what Deepesh Mode is doing live and, and Battles, which we talked about last time. They, um, on their last tour, they had, um, they had those screens where the guest vocalists from the album were actually then visible when, when the vocal samples were playing and all that. And so I, I was getting into, to, uh, building up some, some kind of system or thinking up a system of doing like live projections that, um, in, in best case scenario would actually be respondent to, to our music and, 
it's just a hell of a topic to get into and expensive yeah. as all hell, of course. But um, on a more personal side, I think stage presence. Um, when I, when I look at videos that were recorded of our gigs, it's like okay, I'm I'm the guy who has a guitar in his hand and stands behind a microphone, but. <laughs> I, I don't really jump around or anything, so maybe that's why I'm, I'm thinking about things like um, live projections because it's like okay, so if people find me too too boring on the stage, they at least got something nice to look at behind me. <laughs> yeah. And Benji, you've been playing with Reptile Fiction a little bit. Do you, are there any shenanigans you do? Uh, so I've noticed that basically, if I don't bring my own anything like visuals i'm just playing in complete darkness <laughs> so uh that it is something that's been on my mind like maybe i should maybe get a projector and project something um you know i do video for a living so it's not something i it's definitely something i could probably do it's just all more time to invest but um i've joked around with people like just having an nes on stage and having people playing video games while i'm playing music <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, that would be entertaining enough, I think. But. Well, I even liked your little 15-second uh, Instagram loop of a Nintendo cartridge for Detective, Detective, Detective. Oh, yeah. And you could have like a, just a playlist of those. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but then you need someone to animate like a fake game demo of the song you're playing. <laughs> It'd look like a, a little pixel art little reptile rendition fiction. of your song. Pixel art music videos, there it is. <laughs> yeah, that with the NES just reminded me um, the, the band or the synth pop band Freeze Pop, uh, which were featured in in Harmonics Games uh, Frequency and Amplitude before they went on and made Guitar Hero and Rock Band. Um, so they have a song in that game that you can actually so you play the uh, this uh, all the tracks in the in the song, which b slowly builds up the song itself. And when they play that live, they actually hooked up a, a PlayStation 2 to the PA system. So the P, some, some guy in the audience would come up and play the game and they would just play on top of that also. And there's, there's a nice video of that on YouTube, which we're going to, uh, put in the show notes. Cool. Nice. Um, I don't think I've, I've really innovated anything in terms of, of stage presence. I'm, I'm kind of classically in the same boat of like, yeah, I'm that guy that's on the mic and, was always I found it easier to focus on the music than on I don't know I'm I'm not a dancer I, I don't I don't think I have a, that front man kind of like stare at me look at me I'm all over the place I'm throwing things kind of um, persona I don't think I'll ever have that persona so and it's it's it would it would definitely come out differently if I decided to invest in making the visuals interesting like like you said it'd be a video stream some kind of projection or decoration and lighting and and stuff on stage maybe um yeah <laughs> <laughs> any bandmates that you've played with that had like a very different attitude on stage oh absolutely so when i was in a band called the press gang and i played uh keyboards for press gang and it was just you know always on the side kind of just supporting the song and uh, our singer who didn't play any instrument i mean he actually he played instruments in his own life but in the band he didn't play an instrument he just sang and he would just go crazy he just jumping around and um people love that people love a singer that goes all over the place and you know uh, you know runs in the crowd and you know if you have the right kind of music for it and just makes everything a party it's fun I think that's why I would always want to have a guitar or something else in my hands. So um, I remember we, we once uh, covered Deepesh Mode's Wrong and I only sang on that song and it was hard to do something <laughs> while just holding a microphone <laughs> because I didn't have an excuse to just stand on one spot. It's like, what do I, what do, I do with these hands? <laughs> <laughs> I need to like go to school for how you know how to behave yourself when you're only singing. <laughs> I think people appreciate um when you're not trying to be something that you're not though, so I think there's that to think about too, but um I have had several times where people or mostly my wife is like, "Can you do something else on stage?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Uh, well, my hands have to be on the keyboard, and I'm like activating loops and drum machines and stuff so i can't like go too far away from my setup but yeah well you still I, have feet <laughs> just to yeah, do some feet feet movements well, just for her you have to write a song where there's 
you know, like a 10 or 15 second break between things you have to activate. <laughs> and then you have a specific dance move just for your wife. And then you're like, all right, I'm back. <laughs> I've thought about that. Yeah. Walk away from the keyboard. And <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think, um, and this may be something we can go into a little bit is, um, when you actually start playing your stuff live, I think you start thinking about your music differently because I definitely, I wrote my music first before I ever performed it live. And then I realized some of the complications of like, Oh, it's really hard to sing this and play this at the same time. Um, so now, now that I've done a couple live shows now, I, when I write something new, I'm like, this will give me space to like, I can only focus on keys here and then I will not play and I will just sing in this part and then I'll jump back on keys or something like that. Um, be more strategic, I guess. Have you ever just decided like, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to get the coordination to play oh, this and sing it. And my older stuff, definitely. I've just yeah. forced myself to play like impossible keyboard parts. <laughs> and, I had that on the the song called Genetic Engines. There's a lot of picking and arpeggios on the guitar. And, I, you know, just like you said, like recording it, I didn't do those things simultaneously. I wrote the vocal part after the guitar part. And and figuring out how to consistently play that live, it was, it was kind of like learning a video game or something where like it's just a really tough level. And after you beat it or you're able to beat it, you're just like, yes. <laughs> I can play that song. Achievement unlocked. Figured the pattern out. Yeah, yeah. I love I love that about about some math rock bands that I that I watched that I uh, frequently have guitar players that are playing keyboard at the same time. And it's as soon as the first time I saw that, I was like, yeah, okay, this this is what I'm gonna do. <laughs> and uh, it's it's interesting because. Um, in in effect it's it's not really much harder than than playing piano with two hands it's just like that that one hand is inverted and from there on you can pretty much do almost the same thing so um and as you said it's like the the hardest level on a video game and once you master it it's like okay i can i can just do that now and 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 keep doing it and it's it's really fun to do but that's about where my stage show and and in in terms of spectacular things maybe happening on stage then i mean maybe one thing you could do is like um recording some playback in advance and then uh, simulating a shred video live ah uh, shred videos <laughs> I, I recently rediscovered them so <laughs> yeah yeah uh, I haven't seen this fish one yet <laughs> i'm gonna pull up this fish one right now but did, did you watch that beach boys one um, oh no, I haven't seen that yet. One, I okay, let's just make a short break then so I can, <laughs> yeah, sure. ah, yeah, I remember that one with the unplugged guitars. <laughs> the clapping is so good, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so for the listeners, um, who maybe really don't know what's going on right now, you should really, um, look into our show notes where we've posted a bunch of shred videos that. That we were just talking about, so you're really going to need those visuals. Some, I think. I liked that he was clearly playing. Like they had a a shot. It was kind of cropped from his chest to his head, but he was clearly like playing guitar. But just the fact that the guitar wasn't on the screen, they didn't put a guitar sound. <laughs> <laughs> they just there was just nothing. It just his head nodding. Yeah. All oh, these shred videos are are classics, internet gems, and. I, I don't know. For me, it's always about the clapping, the, the like impotent, wimpy clapping noises. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, in the Beach Boys one we'll link to, there's also a, like a few little moments where Brian Wilson is snapping and it's just like this big, obnoxious <laughs> snap noise comes into the mix. <laughs> and they're just singing so sheepishly, too. Just, like, I, rem I remember the first time I found out about Shred videos was a Shred video of um, The Kings of Leon, where it was <laughs> so well done that since I haven't heard a single song of them before, I just thought it was a really bad performance. And a lot of people <laughs> also didn't know about it, that, that it was a Shred video until like halfway in the song where something happened that you go, okay, that, that, that sounds really uh, weird. But 
um th- then i delved into all of them and then i was watching them religiously until i <laughs> till i one one day made my own uh from a, uh of a song by the band tortoise but unfortunately i got a copyright strike for that on my channel and uh <laughs> it's not it's not online anymore but maybe i can put it on vimeo maybe, maybe I, I i put it on vimeo maybe it after about a week it already encoded <laughs> but um yeah i also like that that Anything that's not in the frame just simply isn't audible. So it, it's always that that wimpy nothingness in the background, <laughs> a, a little bit of reverb that that just it's just okay. We're in this big room in front of an audience, but there's nothing playing except for what that that bass note that for for one frame, and <laughs> it, it always works great on drums because. Th- Frequently, you don't. Uh, the cameras don't really show the drummer at all, and so sometimes in the background you see a crash symbol being hit, and that's the only <laughs> thing you're going to hear then. <laughs> yeah, and to me, like the, a lot of the guitar sounds, it's it's what you hear when you go into a, a a music store, and there's just some, you know, the guy that's there all day sitting by the amp, you know, playing his favorite riffs on guitar, and you're like, do you just sit in guitar stores all day and 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 play these riffs and um, it, it's it's that sound. I mean, it's it's worse because it's just like random discordant notes being strummed. And um, and another thing I love about the Beach Boys one is because since they aren't plugged in in the video, the guitars they're strumming <laughs> are just you know electric guitars being strummed, uh, not plugged in at all. And it's just like this trebly, scratchy, annoying electric guitar sound. <laughs> So we've been talking in the past couple episodes about different aspects of songwriting and production. You know, what chords do you use? Do you need music theory? Uh, how do you collaborate with other people? And I think another interesting step in the in the music making process is mixing. And arguably, mixing is just as transformative as writing the song in the first place, um, because you can really do some serious rearrangement and uh, serious changes to the way things sound when you're mixing and. Um, I'd love to hear from both of you kind of what happens when you decide to start mixing. Is that late in your songwriting process or is it kind of early on? You're always mix, always be mixing or, um, how does it work for you guys? Uh, I, I kind of do it as I go. Um, but then I end up having to do it more after I'm done. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I think you're just always mixing, um, it helps when you have projects where you've already mixed it and you can maybe just kind of like start a new project from that already mixed project. And then you can like tweak it afterwards to make it obviously sound different. But yeah, from my experience, I think I just, since my music specifically is, uh, you know, electronic, um, I feel like the sound is what makes the song for me. So I was like, I want to like create a certain type of sound before I start doing like the melody and stuff. Yeah, it's, you kind of need to hear it and it's in the right voicing before you can know what the song should be. Right. I definitely can identify with a lot of that. Even when I'm recording live instruments, I, I really want to get something happening in my mix that gets me excited before I try to... Um, I mean, sometimes I have chords or melodies in mind that I've just from noodling around on an acoustic, but um, it's nice to get in the box sometimes and uh, really feel out the sound and and know exactly what you're doing. Um, But I'm also interested in like, you know, over the past years of mixing things, how have things changed? And I could say for me, uh, you know, it used to be a lot more reliant on presets and like things in in the DAW that are already like, yeah, here's a clean vocal and you pop that on and you're like, oh, I kind of like that. And you kind of go from there. But as time goes on, I'm getting a lot more confident of just adding specific effect chains that I know will be interesting or, or and not just relying on the generic presets. And has it been similar for you guys of like branching out from the stuff they give you? Yeah, stuff for me started out when I uh, started actually making my own synth presets. So I was always relying on the presets that came with the synthesizers and just tweaking them a little bit and and maybe twisting like two or three knobs to make the sound a little different but then one day i started like okay let me actually learn how to program these and i and i bought a book about about programming subtract uh, subtractive synthesizers and and it kind of went on from there and um, 
I can't really do those those really complex like dubstep like synths yet, but um, I'm confident that when I when I have that certain sound in my mind that I can actually put it in there, and from there, a lot of mixing is not really necessary anymore because you you get in getting that sound from the start that you actually were looking for, and it's like of course it's mostly things like I need to put an equalizer in there so it doesn't like drown out the vocals or anything, but other than that. I've I've started mixing more in mono in recent times, which goes straight against what we were talking about, experimenting with quadraphony and all that. So um, I can actually really just focus on um, on having everything work together well because I like to just yeah put one more melody in there and then just yet another melody and then uh, in mono you 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 start to notice that things are building up too much. So which you wouldn't notice that much in stereo because you have to uh, have that wide feel. So you've got like two or three melodies on the left ear, two or, the, two or three <laughs> melodies on the right ear. And mixing mono actually uh, made me yeah, use less tracks because I found that I, I don't really want to use that much, uh, that dance of a mix. And yeah, that, that's, that's how I would kind of develop for me there. Do you guys also find that in the mixing stage you, you make sweeping editorial changes about... Um, all the time like i feel like yeah there's like a um for me like when i'm mixing and even when i'm working with a band and there's kind of more established roles in the song i'm i'm kind of nothing is sacred is kind of like my feeling like whatever makes a song better i will chop anything i will shorten anything i'll rearrange anything um and i kind of like being merciless in that sense of <laughs> Uh, being willing to to do almost anything like oh i know we recorded a traditional guitar sound but i'm going to screw it up in such a crazy way because i just want to see what it sounds like and sorry about your guitar part but it's going to be this now and yeah. <laughs> deal with it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think i'm uh, i'm also experimenting like to the last second of the mix it's always like okay now finally i've got all the uh, all the tracks like working together but let me just add that little sample right here in the second verse and that I'm can be done with it. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think like you said, Mike being merciless, um, you can really come out with something like a lot better than what you started off with. So I think there's definitely some cases where I've probably done that with a synthesizer sound or maybe a, per a whole like percussion beat. Like what if I just made the percussion this instead is like more syncopated or yeah. I don't know. Cause sometimes I kind of just do the same boring four on four, but, um, being a drummer, I'm always like trying to challenge myself and making creative beats, I guess. Yeah. And I, I like, there's kind of a, a, probably a curve you could draw of like the, the number of layers in a song as, as the mixing or the writing and the mixing, which are kind of intertwined for me. It's hard to separate writing and mixing because they're just, they're the same. They're both the creative process. But, um, there's a point where like, initially I'm just trying to load up all these things and try everything interesting. And you just get this giant pile of stuff and then the pruning kind of happens later and you're just like, Nope, you're out. No, you can go later. No first time through none of you guys, but second time we'll bring you back. And like all these little sweeping decisions to, to figure out the dynamic of the song kind of happen. Yeah. And then that's usually the point where the song's, goes from three minutes to seven minutes because <laughs> I didn't want to get rid of anything. I just moved it around in time and made some new sections from that. Yep. You got to be merciless, man. Nope, never. <laughs> you got to say another song. This became a second song. And I also find the dilemma in mixing, a, or it's not a dilemma, it's, a, it's just a creative choice is it's fun to layer extra, like tons of stuff, but then everything gets smaller in the mix and and that chance you have sometimes when you strip everything away to make a few things really big and impactful is is always a fun moment for me because the fewer things you have, just the more sonic space those things can take up in people's attention. And um, it's really nice playing with that contrast too. And I, it also can go a bad way of when you do pile too much stuff on that everything is just so... You're zoomed out so far, you're like, yeah, look, every human on Earth is there, but you're zoomed out and all you see is the planet. And you're like, well, I can't see any of those people. Um, <laughs> or just, you know, with compression that happens with anything you listen to on the radio is it 
there's like you know in the classic pop song there's the acoustic bridge where it's just the singer and an acoustic and on the radio that is the loudest part of the song because there's only two elements happening and then the chorus hits and you just feel the song shrink under the weight of <laughs> the bass and three guitars and all these extra things and cymbal smashes coming in and since they compress the music so heavily it's like yeah, that was the big loud chorus, but it's actually quieter than your bridge with the acoustic. <laughs> I always found that really strange. I know that um Mike and I have talked about this just in making our own like chiptune songs, but um when you like there's something like really like freeing about limiting yourself to like only like four tracks. So if you're trying to do like a Nintendo or 8-bit sounding song, you, you typically have only four tracks to to do. So you have like the percussion, the bass line, a melody, and then like a second, maybe like a harmonizing melody or something. But um, I, I think that helped me like figure out how to balance a mix. Um, Cause it's like, Oh, I need to fill in the low end and then I'm going to fill in the high end and then I'm going to like do some stuff in the middle. And they kind of helped me visualize how to balance a mix better. Yeah. Just building all those slices of the, the frequency range. And I mean, I took one class in college on re- recording and engineering, and he, he definitely described it as like um, your EQing helps stretch your song like vertically, and then your panning helps stru- stretch it left to right, and then your effects help make it pop out in like three dimensions is to make things really jump out at you in different ways. And... Really, when he says effects, he means delay and reverb like 99% of the time. And it's really true that those two things are kind of the most... And EQ, obviously, in compression. But um, are there any effects you guys go to? I've already talked on the show how much I'm a a sucker for tremolo. (laughs) But, you know, any certain effects you find yourselves always returning to or like it's kind of your go-to other than reverb or EQ? It's always going to be delay. (laughs) <laughs> I, I put delay on all the things. I've, in, in, in my band, uh, Salt the Skies, I, where, where I said I, I usually play through software and I, I, pl- I play through a guitar amp. The only effect pedal I ever bought was a delay. And that's, I'm, I'm abusing that, that thing in all the settings. So in every song, I'm going to use it in some different way and like, uh, putting it on, on 100% feedback and, and scratching it around and, and, it's it's always fun to use delay, so there's so much creative potential in, in that effect uh, alone. So I, I think I use I use it on everything almost, and far far behind that maybe there are things like pitch shifting, or even then like a grain delay that's just like a pitch shifted delay. So um, it, it always comes back to that one thing for me. <laughs> yeah, um, since I do more of like an '80s like synth pop style. I was using a lot of reverb, um, but the trouble with reverb is that, like it bleeds into like parts that you don't want it to bleed into. Um, so it's just like learning to control that. So I've I've actually kind of switched to using more like delay. I think delay can be cleaner and give kind of the same effect. Because um, like I was like I only want the delay to only go this far and then stop. Um, so I'm I'm learning to kind of like do like management i guess sound management on that part and just trying to control those effects but the other ones i use lately just because i'm doing like video game style is like there's a uh eight uh what is it a bit crunching or that's not the correct crusher yeah bit crusher yeah that's what i meant yeah i've been using that a lot yeah especially in chip toony or you know pseudo chip toony stuff it's it's very useful effect yeah um I know I find reverb is a very good piece of duct tape for a lot of situations where, you know, maybe you don't want it to be, you know, maybe it's like makeup where you shouldn't notice it all the time, but it, it can be really useful to smooth things over. Um, I even in podcast editing where I've had some of my live, like I'll go to a space that's not ideal for recording, but it's where everyone could meet. And uh, some of the voices will be more echoey or just have a lot more room, you know, early reflections or something's happening in the room on their mic specifically. And I don't really have any good software for removing reverb or echoes like that. And I don't have any experience like doing that. And so I, instead of trying to figure out how to solve their mic, 
I just added a hint of reverb to everyone else and it brought them close enough to a similar sound that it didn't sound like one person was in a radio studio and another person was in like a concert hall and it was like they aren't in the same room. And so reverb was a good smoothing over device for that. Trying to think of any other effects that I... I mean, like you said, Matt, delay is, is really something I go to a lot too. And especially any sort of short staccato or, um, you know, it's a piano or it's, it's a synth that has a really short, you know, attack and decay. Um, I really enjoy making those bounce around the mix in the background and delay is really wonderful for that. <laughs> you know, faking arpeggios. <laughs> Yeah, some, something else I recently, or not recently got into, but I was using more recently was a, a, a enable, and it's called a beat repeat, which is like a stutter effect. So it like captures a small amount of sound and then plays that like it's, it would be stuttering. And, and there's one song by the, uh, with the astray where I use that on my vocals, uh, even in live, that, that's a cool effect. And, um, even doing just manually, just chopping up a guitar part where you hit the chord and then, then, pick that sound in the middle where it's just slightly decaying and putting at the like 16th or 8th notes making out of it and and pitch shifting them to make some 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 cool uh rhythmic harmon harmonies in the background i i really like those 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 um yeah those harsh effects where it's like okay it's going in your face now so we're going to repeat this like 16 times in this bar and um so, so i think I'm, i'm mostly into like time-based effects I would say then so anything that's that, that manipulates time and and not specifically like frequency or anything. So pick yeah. of the week, <laughs> shall we? <laughs> I think Benji should go first. All right, Benji, what did you pick for your your song of the week? Okay, so um, I picked a band called Laser Background. Uh, they're from Philadelphia. I've I've played with them before. Um, and they're really nice guys. So they have a song called Fantasy Zone. Um, and I guess the only thing I can really like prepare you for is like just think like Sega Genesis or Sonic the Hedgehog um, and like those types of like bass lines that you hear in those songs. But uh, I don't know, it's just a really fun kind of dancey song. Yeah, let's check out some Fantasy Zone. So that was Fantasy Zone by Laser Background, and uh, I enjoyed checking out the song, Benji, after you selected it, and exactly the reason you said that the Genesis, Sega Genesis feel, or I don't know, was was Genesis called Mega Drive in Germany, or is that just other parts of Europe? Um, yeah, it was the Sega Mega Drive. Yeah. Um, just the, the weird lo-fi, sort of nasty bass, the, the, the crunch of the different synths, and... I mean, that's, that's nostalgia goggles, but it still sounds so good even today. And you know, well, that track was so much fun. I think fun is the word to describe that song. So, um, immediately when I started, it was like, yeah, yeah, that's a song that Benji would like. And, <laughs> and yeah, that, that uh, all I could have focused on for the first minute was that dirty bass sound. So it's, it's got that, that really nasty bass sound that I, they know from when, when some company brings out a new bass synthesizer, like the Novation Bass Station 2 when it came out. They always demoing it with the sound that sounded almost like this, but this one's even nastier. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really fun to listen to. It reminded me of, of a few songs from your, from your, uh, music generator album. The, yeah. uh, w w what was it called? The, uh, Uh, Space Punks EP. Yeah, that one. Yeah, that was like my my band name at the time was Space Punks, so that's why <laughs> I had to name it that. There was no other choice. <laughs> All right, Matt, what was yours? My pick of the week is Ostra and the song "Hurt Me Now," and it's 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 kind of synth poppy, but also yeah, not really upbeat, but um, 
it's 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 got a really great atmosphere to it that um that 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 organ that's in that's in the background that's always playing these these um these eighth notes and it 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 just it's being carried by by her vocals which i know split some some people so some people can't hear uh, like listen to her voice um i've heard it described by by friends of mine like oh it's it's uh, that band where that i think goat it, she was some some of her lines were compared to like a goat were singing but i don't i find that way too harsh for i, I really enjoy her voice and, and especially in, in especially on uh when when she's playing solo and uh she, she's got a really nice voice so i really don't know where that should be coming from maybe it's her she she has a, she has a very spe- um special vibrato vibrato to her voice maybe that is yeah so um let, let's just let's just hear a little bit of it right here So, what do you think of the song? Um, you mentioned the vibrato, and that was exactly what I latched onto when I listened to it. And it's somewhere in—I can't remember how far into the song. So I only got to listen about twice, but it, it immediately reminded me of "My Brightest Diamond." If you've listened to any of her, um, Cher Warden, well, there's almost like it's almost like a, a bird call, like a, the uh, some of the—it's just this pretty warble and, and vibrato in some of the parts, and it was gorgeous. Yeah, the. Her vibrato definitely stuck out to me. It's, it's kind of a quick vibrato, so maybe that's where the the goat comparison's coming from. But it's still kind of a cruel comparison. Like, but goat's not very pretty sounding, and that's, yeah. that's not really the case with her. Like, she's obviously in key and she has a good voice, but um, maybe just not the style that some people like. But um, I've I've actually heard not heard this song by them. I've heard. Um, I, one of their other songs before. So I, I was already kind of familiar with Ostra. Um, I guess the thing that stuck out to me in this song, um, I typically like songs that kind of like, just kind of play the same measure over and over again without any like change in the progression. Um, Cause I feel like if, if the idea that you pick to like repeat over and over again is catchy enough or strong enough, you, I don't know, you, you kind of start feeling it more and you're like, your body starts to understand it and you're like, okay, yeah, I'm really getting into this. And then later on, she kind of introduces like a four on four, um, not literally a dance beat, but you kind of hear like the, the percussion going kind of that style where it's like kind of thing. But, um, so that kind of just kind of got me into it more. So yeah, I thought it was a cool, a cool way to go about it and got me into it. All right, and Mike, how about you? So I went with uh, Fantagram has a song called Mouthful of Diamonds, and I picked this not only because I like the song, but because Benji introduced me to the song a couple years ago, actually, when we were gathering influences for a project we never finished. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, um, so Fantagram's song, um, there's it's a really great song. It kind of reminds me of like maybe a, a slightly less... Uh, kick-ass rock and roll metric like it's a little more down tempo a little more chill but there's there's something poppy pop sensibility that reminded me of metric for some reason um but the other thing is um being a a fan of video game soundtracks there there's these weird little pitch warping sounds in the beginning that kind of go with the drum beat as it comes in and it reminds me so much of final fantasy fours uh, when you first get to the moon in Final Fantasy IV, there's like this weird, almost atonal pitched sounds that happen um, and before the music comes in. And so just my nostalgic goggles were like, ooh, I like this. And then the song itself is good. There's a chorus section where um, the singer goes into more of a, there's a couple falsettos happening, harmonizing with each other. And I really like that part a lot. So let's check out some Mouthful of Diamonds. Mm-hmm. 
So Matt, I know that you had several different encounters with Fantagram very recently. <laughs> Tell us about that. Yeah, I experienced some bad of mind of uh, effect today because I, I've never heard of Fantagram before, or at least I not uh, not that I knew their name or something like that. But uh, I listened to I listened to the song after you put it in our document and. Like half an hour later, when I was making lunch, um, Lars from the other room was playing some Phanogram through Spotify. Or at least uh, I like what I was hearing. And I asked him, "Yeah, what's that band? Yeah, hey, it's called Phanogram." And uh, <laughs> I, 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 maybe I don't know. Maybe he talked to you before the show because now he's on Twitter or anything. But um, but no, yeah, I, I really love the song, and I'm definitely going to to listen to more from that from from that band. It it was a really nice blend of electronic and and rock elements, which is what I'm really into. And 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 I really like the those drums; they were really stomping. So um, it, it it sounded like more or less electronic drums, or if it were acoustic drums, they were heavily processed. And and I'm really into that as well. So it 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 really kicked the the song up a notch for me. Yeah. Um, I really like their guitar parts in a lot of their songs. And I think this song is, a, it displays that really well. You'll hear a lot of like kind of emotional, but really like really stylistic, um, guitar parts to their songs. And I always tend to latch onto that. And then, yeah, they always have really good, like electronic style percussion. All right. And with that, we've, uh, gotten through our topic list and, I want to thank you so much for listening to Bits and Pieces, Episode 6. Uh, you can find show notes, uh, links to all these things we talked about, as well as our Spotify playlist, where we keep every song we pick from our pick of the week uh, in, in one playlist. So you should follow that. Um, you can head to sunriserobot.net slash bits and pieces slash six. Um, and then if you're interested in supporting the network, uh, you can, number one, rate us in iTunes. Um, rate bits and pieces. If you, if you like any other Sunrise Robot shows, go rate and review those as well. That would be amazing. Um, and we're also on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash sunrise robot, um, if you're inclined, you can donate money directly to us, which we are always greatly appreciative of. Benji is a donor. Thank you so much, Benji. You're welcome. And, uh, also Bruce Edwards, we want to shout out as a, one of our Patreon supporters. Uh, where can people find you guys on the internet? Uh, okay. Yeah, you can find me um, under my name on Twitter, Benji Robinson. Um, but if you want to follow my music, it's Reptile Fiction. Um, that's pretty much, if you look Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, any of those, you'll find my, my band stuff there. Yeah, and you can find me on Twitter at Echolox, which is E-C-H-O-L-O-X. And you can find me on Twitter at M Edwards Music. All right, thanks for listening.